0: We are having some trouble again with our screen this morning, and I just want to say one thing. We realize, I, I really have got to the place on this where I believe it's just the enemy that's messing this up on Sunday morning. But I, want, I just want to say one thing to remove any doubt. It has absolutely nothing to do with Ms. Karen Markle. Yeah. Believe me, if—if if she would love nothing more than for the screen to work. It makes no sense. It worked perfectly on Wednesday night. But the last three Sunday mornings, it has not worked. And if we could ever figure out a pattern, it would help us. So just be praying throughout the week. I'm convinced that the enemy just doesn't want the screen to work on Sunday mornings. But we're going to do the best that we can. Miss Karen will be putting up my sermon slides this morning. Okay. Oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Well, praise the Lord. All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, we are going to be continuing the Ephesian sermon series today, and this is sermon number three in this particular series, and if you were here a few weeks ago when we did sermon number two, you might remember that I made a statement that morning that I really... Did want to do the entire chapter 2 in one sermon, but as I began working on that, it was just clear to me that the Lord was saying, no, it's only the first 10 verses. So with that, we are going to be starting with verse 11 in chapter 2 this morning. I hope that you are following along in your Bibles. Um, Hopefully we will be able to see it on the screen as well, but at this point, if you are physically able to stand, I want to just invite you to stand with us right now to honor the reading of the Word of God. So let's, let's stand together. God's Word tells us, Therefore remember that at one time for the opportunity to read your word and to step into it this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just descend upon this place. Father, I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. And I pray that they will see and hear you and not me. And I pray that you will be glorified in this place today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, last time we looked at our spiritual union with God and we saw that God gives us life and that His grace unites us with Him and also with others. And remember, one of the things that we addressed last time in the last sermon is that we were spiritually dead and we were alienated from Christ. And do you remember why? It was because of our transgressions and because of our sins. Now, the title of this morning's message is Upon What Foundation Is Your House Built? Upon what foundation is your house built? And we're going to be talking in way more detail here in just a few minutes about the importance of a good foundation. But from last time, Verses 1 through 3 addresses our spiritual death. Verses 4 through 10 addresses our spiritual life. And this morning we are going to see that Paul addresses our spiritual union in verses 11 through 22. Now the main idea behind this morning's text is that once we were separated from God but now... Through Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles have been united with God, and as a result of that, they've been also united with each other. Now, as we begin to look at our text this morning, in verse 11, we need to keep in mind that the Ephesian church has been experiencing some friction. Friction specifically between Jews and and Gentiles. So what Paul, we're going to see him do here. Remember, we've talked many times, Paul, I believe, was a very, very bold person. I believe he, to the best of his ability, he called the situation exactly as he saw it. With him, there's very little beating around the bush as we would sometimes refer. He came right out. He says what is on his mind, He wants these people to know that prior to salvation, the condition of the Gentiles were absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. And so what we're going to see Paul do here, he is going to contrast the Jews and the Gentiles. And before we go any farther this morning, I just want to be sure that we all realize the significance of what Paul is doing here. Had it not been for Jesus, which group would we be in? Now, unless you were born fully Jewish, and I don't really believe anybody here today was born fully Jewish, we would be in the Gentile group. So as we read the text today, as you hear me refer to Gentiles, I hope that you will realize I'm referring to us, which makes us, should make us even more thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, if we think back to the Old Testament, how did God's plan of salvation come? It was through the Jewish nation, remember? Now, that did not necessarily mean that all Jews were truly redeemed But it did mean that the message of redemption came through the Jewish nations. But now as Gentiles, the Ephesians did not have that natural access to the message of salvation. So we're going to see here that Paul is contrasting the conditions of the Jews and Gentiles. And he does this to show the Ephesians how significant that their salvation really is. So right here in this verse... Paul uses two terms that his audience understands perfectly. When we see in today's text Paul reference the uncircumcision, he is talking about the Gentiles, and they know that. When he mentions the circumcision, he is talking about the Jews. They all know that. They all understand that. But here's something that maybe we don't always realize circumcision was a source of pride for the Jews. It was a sign that was visible that showed their historic relationship with God. And we need to understand when the Jews would make statements about uncircumcised, what they are really doing, it's they're performing some type of religious slur as if they are looking down upon the Gentiles. But you know, The message that we need to understand today is that they had completely missed the concept of circumcision of the heart. I want to take you quickly to Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And Paul writes there, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The Jews had missed that. They had absolutely missed it. Now going back to our text today, verse 12, remember that Paul is writing the Ephesians letter. I want you to imagine opening this letter as if it were you that has gone to your mailbox and you have pulled out a letter that is addressed directly to you. And imagine how you would feel if it contained this message. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. Can you imagine receiving news like that? It would be hard to take, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what the Ephesian church has received through this letter at that point. Israel had been given promises or covenants by God that they would have a Messiah. And that gave them hope. But Gentiles did not have those advantages I want you to imagine this for a moment. If a Gentile converted to Judaism, they were known as a converted Jew. They were no longer known as a Gentile. So true Gentiles were without hope, period. They were without hope. But verse 13 is one of those but God moments that we so routinely talk about The beautiful thing about this is that God did not leave them in a hopeless condition. He did not leave them there in a hopeless condition. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is beautiful. All people are now considered the same before God. And it's because of the cross. When Jesus died upon the cross, he made that possible. Now You know, so often in today's world, we look for peace in all the wrong places, don't we? If we look around us, there are people, it's obvious, they are searching for something. I believe they're searching for peace. But looking in all the wrong places. Can I tell you this morning, peace does not come by how much money you've got in your bank account. It does not come from that. Peace does not have, does not come as the result of the car you drive. Peace does not come as a result of the job that you have. Peace does not come as a result of any worldly possession that you might have. But can I tell you this morning where peace comes from? This particular verse, verse 14, tells us, "...He Himself is our peace." who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The hatred that had existed between the Jews and Gentiles, it had caused a wall to be built between them. And can I tell you something this morning? If you have hatred in your heart towards someone else, there's going to be a wall in your life too between you and that person. We shouldn't have hatred in our hearts. He's divided that wall of hostility. And in, when we look at verse 15, we see exactly how he did that. It was by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making Peace, you know, Gentiles they didn't keep these rules and regulations, but the Jews did, and that was what one of the major dividing points between these two groups of people were. But Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross, and as a result of that, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law, and that is one bit of good news today that we should be rejoicing. As a result of that, and he also provided peace. And I wonder this morning, do you have that peace in your heart this morning? If you don't, you can have. You can have it before you leave this place today. He wants you to have that peace. Verse 16 tells us what his purpose in all of this is. And it says, "...and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross." Thereby killing the hostility. God doesn't want us to be hostile with people. He wants to reconcile us to God and also to each other. And so we see at the end of that verse, thereby killing the hostility. And that's exactly what Jesus did between the Jews and the Gentiles. That hostility that was previously there went away. So there is absolutely no reason for us to be hostile with anybody because we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Verse 17, what we see Paul doing here, he is quoting Isaiah 57, 19. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were were near. He does this to show that the word of God expected Jesus to bring reconciliation between these two groups of people. But as we look at this particular verse, I think Paul gives us a really good example to follow here. I wonder when you find yourself in a disagreement with someone, when you find yourself in an argument with someone, or maybe you're the mediator, maybe you are trying to cause two people to let down the grudge and to love each other. I wonder, when we find ourselves in one of those positions, how often do we quote Scripture? That's what Paul's doing here. He is quoting Scripture. And I want you to know this morning, scripture is absolutely sufficient. So often, we see people that it almost seems in our society today, they go to God's Word as a last resort. We should be going there first. The answer is contained within God's Word. I want to encourage us all, let's not make Scripture a last resort. Let's make it the first place that we go. Let's live our lives according to the Scripture. Now, when Paul mentions in verse 17, you who were far off, who do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about the Gentiles, right? So he came and he preached peace to the Gentiles. And look what else he did. He also preached peace to those who were near. Who are they? They are the Jews. So we see that he came. Jesus came. He preached peace to the Gentiles. He preached peace to the Jews. And then verse 18 is one of those beautiful verses when I read this. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have got immediate access to the Father. Can you, can you ever imagine not having immediate access to God? It's hard for my mind to wrap around what, how difficult it would be not to have immediate access to the Father. But if we're here this morning and we're in Christ, that's exactly what we have. We have immediate access through the Spirit, in one spirit, to the Father. And that is great news today. You're never alone. You are never alone, no matter how lonely or dark a situation might appear through our earthly eyes. If we're in Christ, we are never alone. Now, in verse 19, I want to read that to you just a moment. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of of God. So if when we look at this, we can see that we are no longer strangers and aliens. But instead, we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember, Paul is using uh, contrast as he is writing to show the Gentiles how hopeless their situation is. So when I said we just a minute ago... We are no longer strangers and aliens, but instead we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That was intentional because, remember, we would be in the group that's identified as the Gentiles. We would be in that group that do not have hope. But thank God, through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, we do have hope. That is great news today, and I wonder this morning... Do you know him? And then beginning in verse 20, we see that he is using the metaphor of a building built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now remember, the title of this morning's message is upon what foundation is your house built you know, if, I believe if any of us were building a physical house right now, we would realize that we've got to have a foundation. And do we want a weak foundation or do we want a strong foundation? We want a strong one, right? I want to take us just to a few verses of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look just quickly at the wise man and the foolish man. God's Word says in Matthew 7, beginning with, Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. So we've got to hear, and then we've actually got to do. But everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. And the Scripture tells us why. Because it had been founded on the rock. That's what the wise man did. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, obviously, now we are not talking about building a physical house. We're talking about our spiritual house. And so I want to ask you, what type of foundation is your spiritual house built on? Because can I tell you this this morning? Storms are going to come. The wind is going to blow. The rain is going to come down. Great storms we will endure. But again, if our house is built upon the rock, we are not alone. We are not alone. We have got Jesus right there with us. I wonder what type of foundation this morning is your spiritual house built on. Going back to verse 20 in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that this house is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, the apostles, I'm sure you realize... They were the closest followers of Jesus at this time. How does that make you feel to know that our spiritual foundation is based upon that? But that's not even the best news in this verse. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. that is wonderful this morning. You know, we sang the song Cornerstone earlier. And it was intentional. It was intentional that we sang that song today. But here are the words that we sang earlier. I hope that you sang them along with us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. I wonder, do we do that? When the winds come, When the rains come down, when the storms of life are beating you up one side and down the other, do we wholly trust in Jesus' name? If we do, then we can say Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, through the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord. Lord of all, if we are in Christ this morning, when those storms come, we can say He is Lord. He is Lord in the good times. He is Lord in the bad times. And He is Lord on every day in between those two points. He is Lord. I wonder, do you know Him today? And then we see that in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In our temples, they're meant to be holy. I wonder, are they? Are our temples holy? In the Old Testament, the presence of God, it literally inhabited a building But now, since Jesus came, God's in our hearts. He's in our hearts. Our our temples are meant to be holy. Our hearts are meant to worship. I wonder, do our hearts worship? Or is worship just simply a word? Is worship just something that we've come to realize that, hey, that happens on Sunday? It might happen on Sunday. It might not. It depends on our heart. Are our hearts worshiping? Let me tell you, if we're harboring bitterness, if there's anger in our hearts, it's awfully hard to worship. What's in your heart this morning? Are our hearts worshiping the King of Kings? And the Lord of Lords. And finally, in verse 22, we see in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Altogether, Jews and Gentiles, they form one sanctuary for the purpose of worshiping God. Again, I wonder, are we worshiping? Do we worship on Sundays? Do we worship on Mondays? On Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Because we're supposed to. We are supposed to. Does your heart worship? Does your spiritual house worship? Maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing my voice. And you would like to be a Christian, but you don't know how. I say almost every time that I preach... I feel like part of what I'm supposed to do is tell you, how does one become a Christian? And I'm going to tell you this. Many of you have heard me say before, I really do believe and support that it is as easy as we teach children in Bible school. The ABCs of, Christians, of Christianity, of salvation, we have to admit that we're a sinner. That there is something in our life that's called sin, things that don't please God. And as a result of that, there has been a separation between us and God. And guess what? It was even stronger, a stronger separation than that wall that was between Jews and Gentiles. Our sins separate us from God. The B stands for we've got to believe Jesus is God's son. That Jesus did what the Bible says that he did. That he was born of a virgin that He lived upon this earth, that He had an earthly ministry, and that He loved us so much that He died for us on the old rugged cross. He physically died. They removed His body from the cross. They buried His body. And on the third day, He arose, and that is why we celebrate Easter. And many of you have heard me say, I really think we need to celebrate Easter every day. It's so important the fact that that tomb is empty. That's the only tomb that I know of that's empty. I know of no one else who has risen, their body has physically risen from the dead. And then the C stands for, we've got to confess, which involves repenting and also turning from our sin. Yes, Jesus will meet us where we are, but his desire is not to leave us there. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants our lives to be holy as He is holy. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we would love to introduce you to Him. Maybe you realize that, hey, my relationship has grown stale. I'm not as committed as I used to be. The good news is Jesus is still in the same place. He is waiting for you to commit your life to Him. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you just need to come and pray. We invite you to do that. Whatever the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart for, don't resist Him. When we try to run from the Lord, it is absolute misery. I encourage you to say yes to whatever Jesus is asking you to do. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for us on that cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you for that tremendous sacrifice. Father, I pray that we will never, ever take it lightly. Lord, I thank you for your word, for knowing that it's true. Father, I thank you just for the comfort and peace that I have in knowing that your word is absolutely sufficient sufficient for the good times, for the bad times, and for every day in between. Father, I pray that our eyes will be fixed upon you. Lord, I pray that our ears will hear what you are saying to us, and I pray that we will simply do what you say. Lord, I pray that our lives will be holy temples that honor you. Father, I pray for people who are hearing my voice right now that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that today will be the day that the chains are broken from their lives. What I pray that we will see salvation in this place, and I pray that you and you alone will receive praise, honor, and glory for it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.